podcast one production. commentator and journalist Greg Rust and this is Rusty's Garage. In this episode I'm in Auckland getting ready to work on a fundraising initiative with Scott McLaughlin. He's a proud ambassador for Kart Sport New Zealand and is big on trying to help young Kiwis in karting. McLaughlin is fast becoming a major sports star on both sides of the ditch. A good bloke who enjoys a laugh with the kind of talent behind the wheel that has been likened to the great Craig Lowndes. 2018 was redemption for McLaughlin after just missing out on the Supercars Championship the year before. The title has been a lifelong dream of his and he celebrated in style. Our chat basically charts his path leading up to the drama-filled deciding round, just days before he would be crowned champion. It's a path that began with fond memories of cars in the family garage when he was a little tacker. We're always a bit of a Holden family because of Greg um, Murphy. So uh, it was always a club sport or um, GTS in there. So, um, yeah, actually, I remember, though, uh, we got an SV99, a Holden SV99 back in the day. It was obviously 99 made, uh, Hackett Gold for the, the – it was a special – yeah, special <laughs> Olympics um, uh, promotional thing. So, yeah, yeah, for the Olympics in 2000. So it was very cool. Were you one of those kids that was obsessed with model cars, <laughs> toy cars? Was Did it just kind of consume your life back then? I had two Holden Racing Team, uh, I think they were 99 model, little model cars. I used to race around. They were Lowndes and um, Scafie. And I used to, yeah, run around with them, um, yeah, just, just doing car noises and whatever. But, yeah, I did that a lot. The first foray, like probably most races, would have been two wheels. Was it sort of BMX bikes and things like that? Did you lose some bark? How did you go? I lose plenty. I, I actually didn't do motorbikes as such, but I used to remember being in the garage. We had quite a big basement type thing so I'd, I'd make myself a little track and pretend I was uh, like McDoan or Rossi or someone like that and uh, you know drop the knee and sometimes I'd go a bit too far because the, the, the basement floors were quite slippery so yeah she was she was a bit dangerous. You were very good though, I've done a little bit of research for this and, yeah, yeah. and uh, this person let's just call her Sammy who may or may not be your sister, <laughs> tells me that you were very keen to help her get off training wheels and yeah. you were quite passionate about helping her in that regard and you were called into the house I think maybe for you know like bath time you might have been oh, six no. or seven yeah, <laughs> she continued to press on and she had success she got off training wheels yeah. what happened next yeah well I just walked out starkers mate and and, uh, and was just like stuff it I was ride my bike too so there's video evidence of it too so but you don't want to see it <laughs> I love it I love it okay proud Kiwi obviously mate you know motor racing here is your your life but rugby could have been something for you at one point could we have been barracking maybe for Scott McLaughlin the All Black or oh I don't know if it would have been All Black but I definitely um, was I was in the rugby academy at my school I was captain on the rugby team as well and um, yeah certainly came through you know the the ranks there but I got to a point where I had to choose one or the other and, and I didn't want to get injured so um, basically 
pull, pull it in at rugby and, and, and press on with the racing thing, thankfully. Um, but yeah, look, we, I was a, first off, I started as a hooker, um, rugby union, and then, um, and then I got a little bit bigger, so taller and a little bit skinnier. So I, um, started number eight. I was number eight there for a while. And, um, yeah, we went, pl- played pretty well. Um, but yeah, whether I would have made it all the way, I don't think so, but look, it, it would have been interesting. So how did the, door open. I mean, I know your dad was, was president at the Hamilton Car Club, I want to say, and things yeah. like that. How did the door first open for you to get into to karting? What was that first experience like? Can you remember it? Yeah, I remember going to uh, the Hamilton Car Show um, at the Hamilton Showgrounds in New Zealand, and, and we saw that the, there was a Hamilton Car Club um, stand there. And we met a guy named Zoltan, and he had a, a, a sheet. He was working for the club, whatever, and basically said, oh, we, tomorrow we're going to have a go day, and we were looking at the carts. And I was only six years old at the time, and you'd try anything when you're that age. And I, yeah, I saw the cart, said, Dad, can we have a crack? And, you know, Mum and Dad had raced before I was born. So Dad's like, yeah, we used to race this, and obviously I just want to emulate what Dad did. Yeah, next day, had a drive, and the rest is history. We actually bought the car on the cart on the day, and the, the the cart that we'd start racing with and we he rolled it out of the trailer and it had number 33 on it and that was my number when I first started racing with and then I first had it in vet supercars when I first started in supercars which is very special very cool it yeah. became a, a trademark certainly in your in your early years there mate am I right in saying that cart or certainly one that you had in your your early years is one that you've since acquired back and done a restoration project on tell us about that yeah yeah I have um it's Back to the when it first was, um, it wasn't actually that cart, but it was the cart that I actually drove on the Have a Go Day. Okay. So the cart we actually bought was a different cart, but the one that we bought bought the very first one is the one that I drove first flat out the first cart I drove. So from uh, John Ingham from um, New Zealand, who have actually become very good friends with our family. So um, you know times have changed and all that sort of stuff, and we're still close. And to to, to be able to get that cart and put a bit more chrome stuff on it and make it look real nice is very cool. That said, is there still a fair bit of authenticity as, as it was and what sort of chassis is it and things like yeah, that? Yeah, so it's a Kiwi cart. So back in the day, you basically only ran a Kiwi cart and cadets. It was just, that's what it was. Um, and they're still getting made today. And uh, it's got, you know, the same fuel tank I ran. Um, it's actually the same motor. Uh, we've managed to get a lot of the th- things together. Dad c- couldn't help himself. He had to chrome the axle. He had to chrome the, <laughs> chrome the uh, brake disc so we wouldn't drive it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's very cool. I want to know if you can share the yarn with us about the time your mum and dad went looking at a new Audi and you <laughs> and Sammy were in the yeah. dealership. That's what, what, her fault. Yeah, yeah. What happened? <laughs> <sighs> okay, so my, I was so scared. I'm still scared about the story. But we're in this Giltrap prestige. I'm not, I think it was Giltrap. Yeah, it was in, in Hamilton. Audi dealership. Um, and we, we were in a car up the top and I think it was a little Skoda used car and we were jumping in and it was actually a manual. We used to, we used to have a habit of, you know, turning the wheel and, and playing with the gear stick and whatever, but we didn't know this one was manual and just so happened Dad had parked his brand new club sport. It was only about three or four days old down the bottom of this hill and little do we know, Sam's dropped the handbrake for some goddamn reason. I've popped it into neutral and the thing's just fired down the hill straight into the door of Dad's car. The, the, the dealership were amazing about it. There was damage on the car, damage on Dad's car. They pulled it back. It was bad. We, we got out of the car, ran separate directions, blamed each other. Um, Dad was so angry though. This is the best part of the story. He was so angry that he we, he put us in the car. He's like, get in the car. Rah, rah, rah. He's like, he's so angry with you. 
he slammed the door that hard, it popped the den out. And there's no scratches or anything. It just popped the den out. So we actually didn't get in much trouble. And, and, the, and the dealership were really good about it. Fantastic. So... The karting kind of um, becomes a staple for your your family in many respects, doesn't it, mate? And, and was there a point along the way where you thought, "This is me. This is my life. This is what I what I want to do." And and who were the influences in that regard? Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint a time because my, I felt like my career in karting went up and down like a yo-yo. I feel like we started off and I really loved it, and I started winning some titles in New Zealand. Then our family made the big change to Australia and lived over there. We had, as the business was struggling in that time, mm-hmm. um, mum and dad had to take some sacrifices. So there's a point there where I didn't race for like 10 months, um, you know, 03, 04, 05, it was, I hardly got any racing in. So did, was, you, did you lose the passion or were you hungrier than ever because uh, you missed it? I was, yeah, I was hungrier than ever. I remember as a young kid, just, there's, you know, you'd wake up morning of a race day, way better than you would on a school day. <laughs> so I remember, yeah, just with, um, you know, it was, it sucked. And I remember like, you know, crying, not being able to race and whatever. And it was one of those things that was quite tough as a family and for mum and dad, especially, um, so yeah it took a bit of a lull and then it came back on probably 06 dad basically said look business going a little bit better I'm going to send you away with a, a team and we and we got part of a team there and, and basically um, it was like an arrive and drive thing I had a mechanic and stuff and worked with some really good people like Dale Verrill Robbie Morton that, that massive people in go-kart and that helped me a lot and really taught me the things that I learned then was what I know today and helped me still helps me today and yeah, I think probably around yeah, the 06 mark when we branched off and did that was probably when I realised, yeah, well, this is you know what I want to do. Those foundations, mate, are so important to lots of sports people when you, when you talk to them about this kind of stuff. Mm. Invariably, too, so are the influences of other stars, athletes, and Murph was one you had come across. What sort of influence did he have and how did you meet him first? Yeah, so we first met him at Pukekohe in 2001. I was a dead of headlights. I was, you know, I was very nervous and... and well, you didn't talk to me. I, I couldn't, like, I was just, like, frozen. And Dad was actually just become the president of the Hamilton Car Club back then. And he asked Murph to come out. They were planning a big build on, on the track, um, upgrade to national standard so we could run the nationals in the North Islands or whatever. Um, and, and he asked Murph to come out to the track and open it for us, which he did. Um, Dad surprised me and made and asked Murph to stay with us that weekend, which he did. And so you think of an eight-year-old, you know, his heroes basically turned up to his doorstep with bags and stuff, and I'm just like, what the hell? And um, I remember just little things like he's walking downstairs to the guest room and and uh, I'd just yell, hey, hey, Murph, and I just wouldn't say anything. I'd just, like, look at him. <laughs> and he probably don't remember that, but I, I certainly remember it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was he's been a great guy for me throughout my career, and, yeah, it's been un- unreal. You mentioned your mum and dad there before, mate, and even the, the tougher times business-wise. I mean, they've been great supporters of yours. Uh, you know, he's had success in the transportation game, obviously. Am I right in saying that you learnt how to drive trucks or you could you could move them around the yard is that correct and did you yeah. did you have a proper license or you just learnt there no i learned when i was very young i actually used to warm the trucks up for dad um before he started going at about 4 a.m uh, i used to come out with him, the trucks with him and because obviously trucks you have to uh pump the airbags up before they go so i'd, I'd warm up every truck for all the drivers 
um, sit them on a rev and get them all right. And I feel like I'm driving them that stage. And then as I got older and I could reach the pedals better, I started driving them and uh, and just driving around the yard, parking them, whatever. So I guess I learned how to back a trailer pretty early. Um, and I had a great teacher and my old man for that. No near misses? No, there's a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's definitely one. Sometimes I didn't tell dad about them. <laughs> he probably knows now. Tell me about the decision for you to largely focus on, on tin top racing, mate. And that was uh, one that came with, I guess, a bit of emotion attached to it for, for the family. Some, you know, A lot of very successful Kiwis have gone down the open wheel path, but you, you fundamentally didn't go that way. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We, we had a, um, a friend in go-karts, uh, Michael McHugh, who went um, former Ford racing, unfortunately passed away in a former Ford accident. Um, Dad knew his family very well through the presidency at Hamilton Car Club, and basically from that day on, he was like, no, no, I don't want you racing former Ford. Eventually, we ended up racing a couple of races in Formula 4, but that's where we sort of went down the tin top um, route. I don't, I don't really talk about it that much. It, it's more, um, and I, you know, it's, it's nice to talk about it from time to time, but it, it's one of those things where I think just uh, we respected the family and, and, and um, we felt that, you know, we could go another route and still be able to be successful um, without going the Formula Ford way. So, what was the first race car, and can you remember? how you felt and where you were and what that sensation was like. Yeah, it was actually, a, um, out of all places, it was a mini, mini Cooper. Um, <laughs> and and it was, I, a QR had a crack in that. And, Queensland Raceway. Yeah, Queensland Raceway. And I tried to, um, in the car, I remember driving out and trying to heel toe. And I was freaking myself out because I, I didn't know how to heel toe. Just straight out of go-karts. How old were you? Uh, 15. Okay. And I remember going out to the track and, and I was like freaking and I got in the car and basically all of a sudden I just knew how to heel toe when I got on the track. It was yeah. just, it was it was crazy um, and something that, yeah, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. But yeah, I was, it was surreal. That's front wheel drive, yeah, yeah. low horsepower. But, but I mean, it brings a smile to your face even now. So yeah, was, yeah. I, I, I've said to many people, I'd love to have another crack in that thing because I was very slow back then, but I reckon I'd have another crack and be all right. <laughs> was there a grand plan? Did you go, okay, you know, I mean, obviously, you tackled successfully the, the Super Touring Championship here in, in New Zealand, and, yeah. and then, you know, you went on to do other things in Australia, which we'll cover, yeah. but was there a, okay, we've got to tick this box first, and was there a grand plan? Yeah, look, it came, um, obviously, the Formula Ford thing didn't work out, so I had to do a couple of races to, to do my licence. I had four races, and then we jumped into the Dunlop Series. Um, but the plan was, obviously, to try and get to, the, you know, yeah, supercars the quickest and you know but the right way and be prepared for it because a lot of people we've seen over the years they're not prepared for it to mm. get the main series um, and I felt like we did and many supporters along the way including Fujitsu Air Conditioning who basically they, they sunk a, a massive amount of my career um, from go-karting all the way up um, yeah I, I yeah for me you know the plan was to do three years in Dunlop series and then try and search for a, a, a drive. But the problem with Dunlop Series is, is there's only seven rounds, so we needed to find a way to go race in another way, maybe a little bit um, uh, you know, in New Zealand or whatever. That's when, in 2010, we decided to go the New Zealand V8 route, and we were lucky again. You know, Obviously, Fujitsu have put a lot of money into our racing in Australia, so we were able to come back and you know, put a lot of it, mum and dad put a lot on the line for me to race in New Zealand. Um, we ran our own team we did all that sort of stuff and um, managed to yeah win the championship in the end and and I think you know the New Zealand racing was a was a massive add to the plan that had already been set if we didn't have that I think um, I wouldn't be where I am today the first 
V8 supercar drive. Huh. How did it go? Where was the test? Was it at Queensland Raceway as well? And was it Stone Brothers Falcon? I'm trying to remember. Yep. yep. Uh, yeah, it was James Courtney's old Falcon from 2008. Uh, 2009, uh, December 17. I remember it uh, like it was yesterday. Um, quite a hot day, straight after a ride day. It was a test day for everyone. And, um, yeah, had a crack. You know, again, I was worried about the heel-toe thing. Um, but we came out all right. And, yeah, the boys... For a bit of a, a giggle, put an L plate on the back of it and, uh, and sent me on my way. What were you told before you went out in terms of, you know, there's such a different beast to drive, but admittedly you'd, you'd you know, done super touring in New Zealand, so there's a, there's a level of grounding, but what were you told before you went out? What were you told to expect? And were you given, you know, X amount of laps and what were you hoping to walk away with? Yeah, look, it was, I guess, an initiation into potentially being um, part of the, the, the Dunlop series the year after. You know, I was told just to go enjoy it and, and feel feel the car, go easy. I only went off once, which I was proud of, and that was really towards the end of the day. And I, what I didn't know was that there was a time uh, that I had to achieve, uh, I think it was like a 13.8 or something um, that day, and that was basically what enabled, you know, Ross and Jimmy to believe that I was able to do it. Um, and, and, yeah, they, they uh, basically put everything... Um, in place after that after that day but I, you know, I'll never forget the feeling just half throttle and then just full throttle was just like crazy and compared to a Mini Cooper it was pretty full on uh, I mean it's a great point that you raise and I've spoken to a couple of people about this because the car really comes to life mate doesn't it when you when you give it welly like that when you when you switch the pit lane speed limiter off it comes you know, to life in this joyous manner. So for someone like you, a proper racer, mm. who'd been aspiring to do that, it must have been surreal. Yeah, I watched so many videos too, onboard videos, um, Queensland Raceway, footwork videos, um, just, just laps and laps and laps. I was an encyclopedia for supercars, honestly, and just infatuated with the sport. And, and when I switched that pit speed limit off, it was just unreal. And, and the feeling that I got, and it was very cool. So you go on to... <laughs> ultimately win that uh, the Dunlop series in 2012 made huge achievement and if memory serves I mean there were some great names in the series back then so it, you know it's the second tier to the main game the last rung if you like before you, you get there but hard battle with some now big names in the game wasn't it yeah and and for me it was uh, so I was at Stone Brothers uh, Nick Perkett was at Walkinshaws or HRT Scott Pyatt, Triple Eight, and Chaz Moss at FPR. So it's all guys that now are in the main game pretty well. Um, won races in the main game. And, you know, it was just an immense year. And I think it really uh, cemented ourselves within supercars that, you know, and a lot of people still talk about it. It was one of the best years in Dunlop Series um, for a long time. And, yeah, the competitiveness of it was unreal. I reckon I had probably the fourth best car. I think we were definitely probably punching above our weight. But I think we just kept our nose clean all year and learned a lot over the last the two years prior and we came home with the bickies. So it was very cool. You didn't get a huge amount of time to let that sink in to enjoy that because you got a, you got an early call up to the main game for your, your good mate, Alex Prima, who was who was not too well with Gary Rogers. Tell us about that. Yeah, see, I didn't know Alex that much at the time, but I, I was very, I thought he was a good bloke after he let me drive his car that <laughs> night. But yeah, he was obviously a bit of a bit of a bad way. But I remember with Gary, we had done the deal prior to that. That, that race with Gary and I asked for the 33 car for the, the go-kart number thing and and he came up on the podium and said hey why don't you drive the 33 car I'm like oh awesome no dramas and I was like oh, sweet as and, and I got back on the podium he's like make sure you don't drink champagne I was like oh that's weird and then he's like 
Oh, so you're thinking this is next year yeah, with the 33? Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking this is with the 33 for next year, for 2013. And, and I was like, okay, no drama's gone. The celebrate. I was, so, I was in awe. I was just going crazy. And then he's still there after the party. I was like, hey, Gaz, how are you? He's like, no, no, you right to drive my car an hour? I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and I couldn't believe it. And they had source stickers from SBR. There was McLaughlin on the door when I got there. Um, it was the quickest seat fitting I've ever had in my life. Basically just jumped into the car and drove it. Um, I was so nervous. Um, just, I didn't want to make an idiot out of myself. But, you know, I, I just went out there and enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I got caught for wheel spinning in the pit stop, which hurt me a lot. Um, got a drive-through penalty, which was one of my first in supercars in my first race. Um, finished a lap down in 17th, but it was a very cool day. Gary Rogers, who you would then drive for, as you said, on a, on a full-time basis in 2013, he's a real stalwart of the of the game and a straight shooting sort of guy. How did you find him initially to, to work with and what were the, the learnings when you get to the big league and you're with a good team and, and that style of, of manager or team owner? Yeah, I was very intimidated by Gary. Um, you know, he comes in with a, a very strong attitude that, you know, probably the, the driver, you know, is is on the same level with everyone else, which is great. Mm. And you don't, I guess in my first year in the main series, it was like, I made it, but I was still on the floor, which was very cool. And he made, made me work and finished my apprenticeship, which was the best thing I've ever done. Which is just for the people uh, listening. That's a sheet metal fabricator. So I was working and building cars and fixing mine and Alex's crashes um, <laughs> when we crashed our cars. But um, Which is Gary's way. Gary's way, yeah, yeah. And But no, he was, you know, at first, you know, it took me a bit to warm up to him, but once he, I think he understood that, yeah, this this kid's not too bad. Um, you know, the contract was had a clause in there that, you know, if I did didn't, you know, perform well, I was I could be gone at the end of the year. So I had to perform. Um, he gave me a great car. The guys gave me a great car, and you know, we won on one of our first races at Australian Grand Prix, and basically from that point on, he put a contract on the table for the next three years and we got got on with it. This youngster is being compared already to the great Craig Lowndes. Look out. There's a new kid in town in the V8 supercars. His name is Scott McLaughlin. He's on the champions list. That car, which you would ultimately win, I think, at, uh, at Pukekohe with, correct me if I'm wrong here, the win, of course, at the Grand Prix was non-championship. Mm. So you then get, you, you become the youngest race winner in championship terms at home at Pukekohe. Yeah. I mean, mental, mate. That was crazy. Yeah, it's unreal, you know. Uh, a lot of people actually forget about that Grand Prix one, but, yeah, the, the, the one at Pukekohe was unreal. And, um, you know, any time you get to win there, whether it's this year or whether it's um, in 2013, it was so special and... Um, I walked in that, that place, no one knew who I was. I could walk in with that side of an autograph and no one was standing at the back, back uh, end of my garage. And then the next day, walking in, I, I couldn't get through. Um, people wanted to know who I was and signing autographs. It was just a massive transition in my life. Fantastic. That car, as you and I sit here, I don't know if you've seen socials today, but literally today, an ad has popped up for the sale. Of oh, that really? car, it's come. It's come up for sale. Not every driver aspires to, to doing that. I know Jamie Wincup has gone and gone and bought a supercar back. Is that something? May not have to be that car, but is that something that Scott McLaughlin would desire to have in his in his garage one day? Yeah, look, we've got the Subaru from when when um, the family owned that. Uh, I'd love to own the DVS car that I won the, the 2012 championship in. The 2013 car, yeah, I'd, I'd love to own that. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll earn a few more Vickies first, and, and 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 see if I can get that. But um, 
Look, yeah, for sure. I'm a big collector. I love collecting stuff, model cars, merchandise, suits, all that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, that might have to be put on hold. We'll go back just a fraction here. That's cool that you've kept the, the Super Tourer. Yep. What was that thing like to drive? And tell us about the emotional attachment to it. Yeah, that was really cool. That was our first sort of family foray. Yeah, Commodore. Yeah, yeah, it was a Holden. Um, so when I started driving for Volvo, I couldn't drive race it anymore, so it was quite um, annoying. <laughs> but, um, you know, we we uh, basically built that team as a family and, and Dad drove the truck to all the races and Mum did all the cooking for the team and... Um, had some really good people like Steve Brow who used to be the t- technical director for Supercars who yes. works for my old man in Australia and um, he, he uh, was our main mechanic and a couple of mechanics from Australia came with us as well so it was very cool um, and, and yeah just just our first championship you know we actually won that championship before the round uh, at Homebush where I won the, the 2012 DDS championship and yeah so look it has a lot of connections you know it was my first national championship it was my fir- first one with my family um, so yeah we kept it and we've literally uh, parked it in, in the garage and it's as raced um, hasn't touched it we could put fuel in it and go again um, probably have to charge a battery um, but yeah the, the car to drive was very cool I'm, I'm very sad about that category because I think you know it could have been something massive yes um, especially in New Zealand and um, it's cost effective it yeah. looked good I mean you could you, you know, for, for, the, for the yeah, yeah great tyre all that stuff and we had some good fans and Murph was racing it you know a hero and you know yeah we, we had a great format but there's so much politics going on and it was just so uncalled for and we just had to get on with it and, and you know unfortunately the, the place went bankrupt but the car to drive was fast a lot of aero great tyre good brakes um, we were almost faster than a supercar around Pookie Amazing. you know and and it was very cool the only bad thing about it was fly by wire so you had to be so easy on the throttle because the first little bit would just jump out at you and it was just yeah it was tough to drive More with Scott McLaughlin in a moment. In this series, I speak with some of the most passionate designers, collectors, riders and drivers I know, like Toby Price, who won the most gruelling race on the planet, Dakar. You run, yeah, 9,500 kilometres over the 14-day period. Most of the time, you're up at least 3 o'clock in the morning to be on the bike at 4 our biggest day, yeah, we have is 1,100 kilometres in a day, so it's like that's riding a motorcycle from Brisbane to Sydney. Listen to the full episode with the first Aussie to win the Dakar, Toby Price, here on Rusty's Garage. Formula E, a class of automotive racing that uses only electric-powered cars that look similar to the Formula One cars, just a lot quieter. You mentioned the Volvo before. Gary Rogers um, gets the deal to run Volvos in supercars. You may not remember this. You actually took me for a ride around Sydney Olympic Park in it, and you let me pluck the gears when we were yeah. when we were. Which I mean, I just I loved. It was it was a a unique beast, wasn't it? How did it compare to drive to the Commodore you'd been used to, and then even now to the Falcon that you that you race? That was twenty sixteen, I took you. Correct. Yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah, um, no, no, it, it was it was. Um, I remember when he told me about it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about it because I'd seen Nissan coming to the sport and Mercedes and all that, and they were really struggling. But it turned out to be complete opposite, best thing for my career to date. But that that was 
unreal. It had so much power, so much torque. So you could race, you could run in su- a, such a different gear compared to a lot of people and look after the tyre. And we had great downforce as well. So, um, yeah, that was an absolute beast of a car and something. And the sound of it was immense. The sound of what you had to say at Adelaide too is something that people talk about <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. to this day. I love it, mate. You were quite worried about you know, yeah. swearing and stuff at the time. I could tell that. But it showed raw, real emotion. Like, the, the words, correct me if I'm wrong here, was something like, you know... I don't know what happened on there. I, I just plucked her in first and gave some jam. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> but it just showed how much it meant to you that year. Yeah, that was... I think because I just seen how hard the guys had been working um, behind the scenes to build the car and just to take it to Jamie and, and beat him. Um, fair and square was really cool. Um, you know, and, and we've had massive battles since then, but that still rates as one of the best. And, yeah, the the, the, the interviewers part, you know, I just thought Barretts was my mate, you know. <laughs> and I, I'm not a potty mouth, but I do swear like everyone. I'm human and, you know, it was just, you know, what I would say to my best mate and, yeah. and probably just got carried away. I'm a bit more professional now, but I know how to ring it in, but it's still in the background. I've got that fun part. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it, showed, it showed real genuine character, mate, and clearly how you, you felt at the time. You would make the decision in career terms to ultimately leave Gary's and you're now with you know Shell Helix Racing Dick Johnson Racing Team Penske uh, you know an amazing outfit in the in the sport clear up some some things for me here in the in the timeline someone said to me and this may not be right but someone said to me that the discussions regarding you know maybe could you play with with that outfit may have gone back as far as 2014 mate did you contact tim sindrick that far back and and what were those early conversations like yeah so i went to new hampshire um for for um the nascar race and i met up with marcus ambrose and this was before penske was in the sport but i knew that was all happening and you know, I've always been a fan of going to NASCAR and, and having a look and, and, and potentially maybe one day driving one and in and, and race conditions. And, you know, it's always been a dream and you've got to have dreams outside of the sport. And I, I spoke to Marcus about it and he said, look, you know, Penske are looking at coming in the sport. Maybe give, you know, Tim Sindrick just an email just to give him your details. He's a great guy to have on your side. Mm. So, yeah, I emailed um, after the New Hampshire race. I was a bit nervous. Um, I emailed Tim Sindrick. And, you remember the email? Yep. And I actually found it the other day and I sent it to Tim and we laugh about it now. But, you know, I, I wrote it up and I actually said I was coming over in November. I hadn't booked the flights or anything, but I said, look, this is my details. I'd love to meet up with you in Mooresville and have a look at the shop with you or um, whether you're coming to the supercars or not, but I would love one day maybe we can talk about a NASCAR thing or yeah. this could be 10 years or so. But just here's my details if you ever, ever need someone to drive a road course nothing happened and basically two days later he responded um, and said yeah yeah keen to meet up with you um, know who you are blah, blah, blah. make sure you come over in November and we'll catch up and we'll make a time let me know when you get here booked my flights that day um, said I was actually going to Vegas for a kart race which I was but I bypassed to go to Charlotte for a little bit obviously doing this in good faith with Gary um, I, I didn't tell him that I was going there to meet with Penske um, but this was all before the supercast thing and Tim really didn't give it away that they were coming in but he said look if we ever did you know obviously we we, we might want to have you on, on board but he never really gave me anything and didn't push me away either so it was just nice to meet him and then from that point on when it all got announced we always st- sat in contact with numbers and texting and yeah so and then basically the Volvo deal was getting pretty sca- um, bit worried and whatever and, and 
you know, I was pretty happy at GRM, um, family team, all that sort of stuff, but I knew I had to extend myself somewhere and Tim got in contact and, you know, the rest is history. Did the whole NASCAR thing, going to Mooresville and seeing all that stuff, that blow you away? Oh, unreal. Seeing, you know, the 400-something people on the floor at Penske and, and um, you know, just seeing the Indy 500 trophies lined up, you know, at the time it was like 15, I think, and, um, you know, it was unreal. And I haven't actually been back to Charlotte since then, so I'd like to go back there and I'm going to try and play and they get there in January. So Roger later on decides to play in the sport and, and the dots would ultimately join that you would be a part of that outfit, you know, wonderful new chapter for you. Did the captain, I mean, he's an automotive industry icon, motor racing legend in terms of what he's achieved as a, as a team owner. What was the phone call like? And, and can you remember what he said? Yeah, I remember seeing the number, plus one, and, and I was like, well, this could be important. So I answered it, and I had Tim's number, and he said, yeah, Scott's Roger Penske, and basically this is a little bit down the line when we had been in discussions, but Roger's always the final say in regards to his drivers, I'm guessing. So he gave me a call and just said, you know, this is what we're about and, and all that sort of thing. I would love to have you on our team. And it was a very short, sharp, and... Um, yeah, it was, it was just very, very surreal and something that I'll, I'll never forget. But um, it was funny when I first, it was, this is a lot before this, but 2015 at New Zealand was the first time I actually met Roger. And um, he came out and he actually sent me an email and, and um, I absolutely crapped my pants when, when he sent it. I was like, because I didn't actually have my phone turned on and I actually missed the email, but he came and saw me. And he was like, oh, how'd you like the shop? And I'm like, I was ducking for cover because I hadn't told anyone I'd been there or anything like that. And I was like, oh, it was all right. Let's go. Let's go talk over here. Um, but from that day on, he was amazing. And then, yeah, obviously, when discussions got serious about joining DJR Team Penske, it was, um, you know, crazy to be a part of it. So they pair up or it's it's a marriage with Dick Johnson Racing um, you know another an Aussie mm. icon of, mm. of racing and you get to race the famous number 17 that's very cool yeah it was cool you know I, I remember talking to Tim about it just you know potentially being able to uh, you know drive the 17 and just to be a part of that team and seeing the history what's going on the true blue racer and um, you know Dick's past you know to go to you know Bathurst now with number seventeen. It's such a, a massive number with every with within the sport, and Dick's so proud of it. The whole family's proud of it, and um, it, it makes me very proud that they are happy with a bloke like me uh, representing them. Huge uh, responsibility that comes with all that, mate. You know, big organisation, winning culture, mm. the Penske way that yeah. they they talk about. How has how has that shaped you? How has that changed you? Do you think? Uh, look, I think of the first year I took it on board, probably a little bit too much. I probably you know wasn't myself and and not that I wasn't myself but I, I I was just like a little bit more too corporate and, and I put too much pressure on myself to there's so many people watching me rah 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 but sort of sat down and spoke to Ryan about it and also Tim and, and, and said look I, I, I can still be who you want me to be and, and for your corporate partners and, and all that sort of stuff but I also want to have a little joke and you know and, and enjoy it a bit more and they never stopped me from doing that but I stopped myself um, and they've been great with me and 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 teaching me the ways a couple of things I've said wrong or um, said a few things that I probably shouldn't have said and done some things I shouldn't have done um, but it's not a you know, I don't get a clip around the ears. It's more just a... Guidance. Yeah, guidance, you know, and it's very, you know, it's just an awesome, mature way of going about it. And McLaughlin comes to the line. Yes! A 2-minute 3.8. <laughs> They've gone berserk at Shelby Pack Racing. That'll 
in 2003, your we talked about him earlier in the podcast. Yep. Your your idol, Greg Murphy, did a thing that is affectionately known as the lap of the gods. The yep. first driver to go sub 207 at Bathurst. Nearly 15 years later, yeah. you go into the 203s with the modern take, if you like, on the, the lap of the gods. What was that lap like? Mm. Do you remember it like film in your mind? And talk us through that. Yeah, I've watched so many replays I do. Um, yeah, look, it was just one of those days where the... the, the, the Time, um, the the temperature of the track, everything was perfect. And if you look back at 03, we had very similar weather conditions. If you look at it, like it was the sun was coming down, it was daylight savings, you know, it was all happening. And yeah, I'll never forget it. You know, the, the lap was basically perfect. There's a little misdemeanor at the top that, you know, I could have maybe got a, maybe a tenth or a half a tenth more in the car. But that was basically it. There was um, a car that basically had a 3.8 in it and we got it. We got out of it. Tell me about the fact that you're in now as we sit here, an epic, epic battle, you and Shane Van Gisbergen for the title, mate, with one round to go. And, I mean, it was really 12 months ago, an epic battle with, with Jamie Wincup. Are there learnings from Newcastle and, and just the final part of last year's championship that you take with you and that, that has built Scott McLaughlin for this 2018 fight? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's just not over to the fat lady sings. You know, it's it's... It sounds simple, but I'm for sure. I just feel so much more comfortable about myself and about this this position compared to last year. I felt very, you know, new to it and quite intimidated by the whole thing. And again, I put too much pressure on myself and I asked too much of myself in the positions I was put in. You know, everything was good basically till Sunday. For me, now I just sit here and I'm just enjoying it. I just, I just go you know what what will be will be and i'll just, i've just got to go out there and and do the best i possibly can and if that's win, winning the race that perfect that's like yesterday if it's second on saturday you know at, at pukakoi that that's all i could have done and i was i was happy with that mm. apart from the post stuff post race stuff but you know I've just um, I'm not putting over pressure on myself and I think that's putting me in a good state of mind you win as you say the the Jason Richards Memorial Trophy just yesterday at Pukekohe 110,000 fans over the weekend in New Zealand your native New Zealand huge so that's mega on the Sunday there was that stuff on Saturday where you got parked in in the the pit lane and with your rival Shane how did that make you feel and how did you deal with that overnight yeah oh look I just went to bed I know he tries to do this sort of stuff with others and whatever and I, I look I'm I feel like I'm smarter than that. I don't need to get into all that stuff. Um, you know, whether he says it's a mistake or not, whatever. But it, for me, um, you know, we're gracious in defeat, humble in victory. And, you know, that's what I've tried to base my, my whole moral of the weekend on. And I felt that's someone, you know, for the Jason Richards trophy, that's what he stood for. And, uh, you know, I told him, I told Shane at the press conference, I'll get you back tomorrow. And we did. And I'm very proud of it. I want to just go back and touch on the win on Sunday yeah. at Pukekohe. Yeah. You climb the fence like yeah. Elio Castroneves. Yeah. What was that like and how much did it mean to you? Oh, it was unreal. You know, something that I'll never forget. I, I've always wanted to get out of the car there and, and fist pump and whatever and do a big skid. And I certainly did. And, and I was like, stuff it. You know, Penske driver does it. I'm going to go jump on the fence. So, um, yeah, it was very cool and something that um, yeah, I'll never forget. You are about to jump behind the wheel of the Mustang. Everyone is very excited about this for the 2019 season. 
what's the energy been like among the team and the build and all that sort of stuff? I think it's just a fresh start. I think it's a time for us now to just chill out and um, not chill out, uh, originality, like being able to work together as a squad. We, we worked with FGX. It was something as an engineering group that we, we basically got put together at the start of 17 and had to try and figure out a car that we hadn't designed. What we've done now, now with a homologation team, we've been able to build and design a car, design and build a car that what we could do to our ideas, um, whether they're good or not, remains to be seen, I think. Um, but I'm, from the looks of it, it looks really cool. The whole project is happening while you're trying to win a championship as yeah. well, isn't it? Exactly. There's so much going on. Um, it's, it's flat out with, um, you know, design work, building it, um, taking guys off my car to do it. Um, you know, it's a bit of a background. That's why I'm so proud of everyone because we've been able to just continually be still in the championship hunt but build up a, hopefully an absolute rocket of a race car. A couple of final ones to finish here now. Where were you when you got your first car and what was that first road car? It's a Holden Barina. A Holden Barina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was, it was actually a deal that I did um, with a Holden, Holden team, uh, a Holden uh, dealership. What colour? Yeah, it was bright blue <laughs> and it had no guts whatsoever. And I crashed it within 400 k's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there was a lesson learnt from that. <laughs> Car that you'd love to have in the garage one day. As we sit here, we're recording at the moment at Giltrap Automotive in Auckland, which is... I mean, this is a dream building in here. The kind of cars mm. and memorabilia are phenomenal. Is there something in here that's caught your eye that you would love to one day own? I think part of their family, it's a Porsche GT3R um, or RS, one of those two. I... I, I Love them. I, I love a Porsche, um, and I think they're a really cool car. You're getting married, yep. Carly, yep. American. Yep. When you're in the States, who does the driving, and do you sit there, and, and if she's driving, do you monitor her drive? Are you a good passenger? What do you like? I'm um, a horrendous passenger. <laughs> horrendous passenger. I, I struggle, um, and she'd be, you know... She knows that she's probably not the best driver in the world, but she does a pretty good job. Um, but, yeah, I, I drive a lot. And even in America now, I drive all, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Different kind of driving. You yeah. love your golf. Yep. Is, and you're pretty – I mean, I know Paul Gow, former yep. professional, has, has given you some tips and things. Yep. I mean, is that your escape? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's one thing I love going to do, whether it's the driving range or um, just going to play nine holes or whatever in the afternoon. It's certainly something I love doing. Um, I'm not – amazing at it but I'm not bad at it either uh, I, I have a crack and, and see how we go Right any road habits that, that annoy you from fellow motorists Oh yeah sit in the fast lane and braking when merging onto a freeway that is just the my pet hate yeah it's just, it just chokes everyone up and it's so dangerous <laughs> Let's finish with arguably your greatest fan mate and we're talking about your late Gran yeah. who was Phenomenal. I'm, I'm told, firstly, that when you were about age eight, you drove her around the go-kart track in a, in a road car. You could barely see over the steering wheel. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it was actually her and my nana who was out there on the weekend. Um, but she, yeah, I, I drove around the Hamilton car. This is when they were rebuilding it and I was just driving the trailer around, but I was taking them for a little lap. And I remember, like, they used to do the Kmart inside line back in the day. And uh, I was pretending I was doing that with Murph and handing over to Scafie the next lap. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was something I'll never forget. But Graham was a massive support along with my nana. And, uh, yeah, she uh, always rides with me. But she, you know, we, I promised her before she passed away that I'd win a Bathurst and I'd win a championship. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, 
we can tick one of those off. Absolutely. I know her room in the in the latter part of yeah. life, mate, was was dedicated to you. It was covered in posters and things. Yeah, like that. it was. It was a full wall. Um, it was unreal. It was a huge wall as well. It was posters everywhere. There's photos of my sister and myself. Um, every trophy I won in New Zealand, I took to her house. Um, her, where she was in a home, and basically just you know put on the mantelpiece. But um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it was it was a yeah, she was an unreal supporter. And she rides with you now, mate. Even yeah. on the helmet, I think. Yeah, yeah. She? So she's up the top of the helmet uh, where the air vent is. You don't see her, but she's there, and um, and it always will be. And um, you know, it's she was you know one of my best friends, so it was a good thing. Fantastic to chat with you, mate. We wish you all the very best. It's going to be a, an epic battle, and all the very best when you when you get married. I'm told you don't even know what's happening with your bucks tonight, mate. You could be going anywhere. You may even need a passport. Is that right? They're saying that. They're uh, they're, they're they're giving me nothing. I said book the date, and I'm I'm there. But you just I don't I don't want to know because you, you sort the activities out, and we'll work out the rest. <laughs> Fantastic to talk cars, and we wish you continued success. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Rusty's Garage is recorded for Podcast One. Written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And our satnav voice is Alana Burns. If there's someone you want me to talk to on Rusty's Garage, get in touch on the show page at podcastone.com.au. Listen to all the episodes of Rusty's Garage at podcastone.com.au via the Podcast One app or find us on iTunes. I'm Greg Rust. Enjoy the drive, but drive safely.